Welcome back to the Lynx Golf Podcast. This is digital editor Al Lunsford with Lynx. We're starting off a new season here of the podcast. Happy New Year to everyone. I uh, hope your 2021, uh, maybe 2020 was good for you. I hope your 2021 is even better in that case. Um, we've got a great podcast to start out the year for you. A special guest is an author and someone who's worked in the golf business for a long, long time and he is uh, here to talk about his new book and his background with the game of golf. And that is Luke Reese. Luke, how are you doing today? Al, fantastic. Thank you so much for having me on. I yeah. love listening to your podcast and uh, love, love, love reading Lynx Magazine. So it's fantastic. Thank you very much. Sort of honored to be here. Well, I loved reading your book um, and it was, it was fantastic. It was, you know, I, for me, I'm, I'll pick up a book every now and then. Um, I don't claim myself to be a heavy reader by any means, but um, if a book captures my attention, then I, and then I will sit down and make sure I get to it and, and finish it. And, and this was a book I decided I needed to finish once I started reading it. Uh, if you go to, it's thememorybanks.com slash links, uh, you can order the book and I would highly recommend it to anyone who's interested in uh, what it's like for, for someone to learn the game of golf uh, on the links in Scotland from some very intriguing characters. Um, but I don't want to spoil anything or everything about the book right away. Uh, I'd like to talk to Luke a little bit about his inspiration for this book and you know what he learned over the years that led him to, to start putting everything on paper. So, um, Luke, what is kind of your background in the game of golf and your background that led you into to writing a golf book? Uh, Al, that's, that's a big intro. Thank you so much. I truly appreciate it. And I'm, I'm honored that you like the book so much uh, and that you're able to buy it and, or get it and uh, pick it up and not be able to put it down. So to me, that's, that's a, real, uh, a real testament to the, to the editing job that my daughter did. My background in golf, um, I, I started out um, actually as a tennis player in college and joined Wilson Sporting Goods after uh, sort of in the early 90s. Uh, I had not played you know, more than a couple of rounds of golf and really just, uh, just sort of fake stuff on, on an old farm somewhere in Ohio. Um, and so I didn't know anything about golf. I didn't know anything about it. And I wound up uh, basically running several divisions for what was called Amher Sports, which is the Wilson parent company. Then I became the chairman of Peter Millar, uh, did that for quite a while and then uh, actually got involved with Shoes, uh, KJUS, which is outerwear and uh, really technical uh, golf products. Um, and I've been with them now for the last four years, or actually five years or six years. Um, and uh, we just uh, actually did something with Titleist where we're part of a Kushnet. And uh, so that's, that's what I've been doing sort of on my, on my day job. Hopefully, that, hopefully that's a good enough background there for you. Yeah, sure. Um, and that part of your day job led you to to meet some people were, were you working overseas when you started to kind of be more introduced to the game itself well actually i was working i was living in germany uh because our headquarters remember wilson was a bigger tennis company than it was golf company um and i was in the in the headquarters and i was basically handling i was sort of a young small young sales rep and uh, one day you know after i realized i have to figure out how to play golf I, I walked into a meeting, it was probably three months into my time at Wilson, and I walked in and there was this senior 
older statesman, the Scottish guy with a lot of presence, and everybody sort of looked to him and looked to his answers. And I was just a young kid, and I, uh, I was a tennis player. I didn't think golf was that hard. And I said to him, I said, uh, uh, what do you think of my swing? Uh, could, could you give me some tips? And this guy was named Alan Bond, and he goes by the nickname Bondy. And he sort of had that presence. He's a combination of Winston Churchill, you know, Sean Connery, Arnie Palmer. Everybody listens to him. Everybody cares. He's funny. He, he commands the press. He has the presence. He commands the room. And he looked at me and he said, I've got a tip for you, young man. And I was like, awesome. I'm, I'm about to go learn how to play golf. And uh, he says, see that? And he points to the grip. He goes, never touch it in front of an account. The moment you do, they'll know you know nothing about golf, okay? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm oh, like, man. oh, my God. And I'm like, and, you know, of course, I'm like, still not like, I'm still leaning in. But now the whole room's leaning in, listening to him. And he goes, don't address the ball. Don't waggle. Hold it as close to the top of the club as you possibly, the head as you can. And use your free hands to write orders. Okay. And I'm like, <laughs> okay. And that could have been like the last time I ever talked to him. It, it was like one of those like, okay, it's an old guy just basically shattering a young rep um, who's sort of probably cocky and thinking, okay, this sport can't be that hard. Anyway, a week later, and this was before FedEx, before things like this happened. A week later, a package arrives at my desk in Germany, and it was a present from him. And this guy and I, after he made fun of me, that could have been the last time we ever talked. But he sends me a book, and it was Donald Steele's Classic Links in the UK. And he sends me this book and says, start on page 32. That's where I'm from. That's real golf. It's the Ayrshire Coast. It was Western Gales and Troon and these places. And he says, read about that. Work on your swing and I'll take you to these places. I couldn't believe anybody cared that much to actually do it. And he was just that thoughtful. And within about four months, I was able to play to a reasonable enough level that I could actually go into a links course, play golf, and be with him. And then he and I spent the next 15 years traveling all over the UK or UK and Ireland playing links courses. And he was a low handicap, and I was a medium to high handicap, and eventually became a low handicap. But he just dominated me. The guy beat me every single time. So, you know, Al, you've read the book. You know, it's a whole series of stories of, of different ways that Bondi can get the better of Luke. You know, th that's essentially what happened. <laughs> well, I was going to say that is kind of your first interaction with him is a kind of an encapsulation of the entire relationship. It seemed like that you, you painted in the book and where he's, you know, at every chance he can get, he's going to try to get an edge on you and try to get in your head. But then you know, at the end of the day, he's someone who has a very uh, infectious personality and, and really cares about people. And um, certainly, you guys establish yourself a special relationship. So I, you kind of answered my question uh, that I had for you, who is Bondi? Um, is, there, is there more to that? Who, who else? Who is well, Bondi, really? Well, well so, 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 so Bondi was a guy named Alan Bond. And actually, you know, the, the, so his name is Bondi, nicknamed Bondi. His name's Alan Bond. He grew up on the, you know, the west coast of Scotland. And he was this amazing character at age 15, with strong will. His grandfather had been a captain of a munitions ship. Think about it. You know, it, a, a, having a large ship full of a bunch of things that explode is not exactly a very, very safe thing to do during World War II. 
Um, so his grandfather was like this hero who captained the ship around there. And Bondi wanted to be that guy. At age 15, he took off, left, sort of defied his parents and joined the merchant navy. And that's like inconceivable at age 15. But this wasn't like back in the 1800s. This is just, you know, 40 years ago, 50 years ago. So he does this, um, joins the merchant navy and is progressing up the ranks. He's seeing the world. He's a 15 year old. And somewhere in his early 20s, he fails an eye exam. And the moment you fail an eye exam in the British Merchant Navy, you're done. They literally, they take you to the next port, they take you off and somebody flies you home and that's it. So he shows up back at home and he'd been a golfer as a young kid. And um, he gets home and has to look for work. And the next day he walks in and finds a job in the Wilson Sporting Goods factory, which had just opened. And it was this pretty dismal looking place. It was sort of gray and dark. And I describe it as a thing as sort of like a penitentiary. Um, it, it was a pretty gross looking place, but he went in and they put him in charge of repairing clubs um, or, you know, not in charge they let him repair clubs. And he said, I wasn't very good at it. Uh, thank God I became a sales rep because I couldn't get the heads on straight. You know, golfers probably hook or slice because of me, you know, <laughs> at least some generation. So I think Bondi just, he was, he was a guy who was going to be in charge of people. Uh, it was just a matter of how. And uh, he just became one of those beloved characters. Everybody loved him. Everybody loved being around him. And uh, I'm just lucky that our ships crossed the night. And uh, I, I had the opportunity to go play so many great rounds of golf with him at, frankly, some of the best courses in the world. Yeah, you, I remember you talking about um, playing, was it Bally Bunyan was the first course over there you um was that with him or, or no no that was before bondi before i knew it was before i actually joined wilson it was the weekend before i joined wilson and i was uh i thought well heck you know a friend calls me and his name was george van cooley he's a great guy from uh, philadelphia and he was a, he was a law law friend uh, a law school friend and george basically um says, hey, well, let, let's go play golf. And I'm like, uh, I don't even know anything about golf, but sure. So I like borrow clubs, borrow this stuff. And I have this big, huge, heavy tour bag. I don't know what I'm doing. I got like, you know, seven dozen golf balls stacked in this bag. And I go out there, not knowing that Valley Bunyan's is one of the greatest courses in the world, or B, that there's a lot of winds or that there's a problem. We go out in about a 40 mile an hour wind. And I'm so dumb, I'm wearing a barber jacket. And uh, I described this in chapter two. This is before I ever met Bondi. I'm wearing a barber jacket with no swing, no ability to play. And after 11 holes, I basically look, I turn to my caddy who turns to me and says, you know, that's a great effing shot. I'd quit after that one. You know, and, and it, was, it, was a, it was a kind of funny enough line that when he said it, I turned to him and went, here, let me pay you for the full round. You carry it in and I'll just walk with my friend and walk in. I didn't slow anybody down. So I actually figured that out right away. But at least, you know, I got an experience. I thought it was the last round I'd ever play. And then I met Bondi. Then he sent me the book. And I just became addicted. I thought, you know what? I, I got to go give this, this sport a real chance. Because too many people like it. Yeah. At, I was listening to your podcast with, um, with Andy from Friday. Yep. And yep. Uh, you guys started talking about the, you know, the experience that is Lynx Golf and how you kind of navigate that throughout your book and, and take people on a journey to all these different amazing courses. And you and Andy were talking that he has never been overseas and played any of these links courses. And, and actually I haven't either. 
You know, I, I've been overseas. I've played, I've, I've watched, I watched the ladies Scottish open. I was working for the LPGA tour and watched them play Gullen and um, walked past kill Spindy when I was over there in that area. And I got to play um, Royal Lytham, which isn't really not right up next to the sea, but it's a amazing, amazing design. But reading this, you know, what, what do you think makes Lynx golf so interesting, so much different, and, and really captures the spirit of the game? Um, for, first of all, I, I'm going to, you know, if we talk about Lynx, um, and a lot of people talk about, they talk about whether the land is the link between the land and the sea. And it was sort of that land that no one could grow anything on. No farmer really cared about it because no crops would grow there. It was too windy and it was sandy soil. Um, so if we think about what a lynx course is, that's essentially that. Um, and Royal Lytham is a lynx course. It just happens to be a little further inland because they've built around it since then. But it used to be right up you know, near the water. It just, mm -hmm. over time, that, that, that land changed. But as, as I look at lynx golf, what makes it so amazing is that it's just so natural. There are so many ways that you can get the ball into the hole. And you can hit it high, you can hit it low. If the wind's with you, you do one thing. The wind can blow and affect your shots by, you know, by four and five clubs, depending on, on what you're playing. So you really have to think hard about how you play. And it makes match play, which is what everybody does over there, um, becomes really interesting because you're playing this bizarre set of conditions, tough weather, and an opponent. And when you do that against a Scott, they're used to it. They're used to how they play. And I prefer match play to play this because, frankly, if you have a bad hole, who cares? It just, it's one bad hole. If you have a bad you know, hole in stroke play or two bad holes, you're done. You might as well you're going to give up the day. Yeah. So I think this is what makes links so much fun. You know, and I, I would just highly recommend both you or Andy or anybody else who's listening, you know, A, read Links magazine. Read it because George Pepper and you know Jack Purcell, they get it. They understand what this is all about. They understand how how the game and where the game's played, and they celebrate that. Um, and I think that that's something that you guys specialize in. And I think if you haven't played those courses, it's hard to really think of yourself as a complete golfer. I'm not saying you can't be a golfer. You can't be a great golfer, but you have to have experienced that to really sort of see what the other side is. Yeah. I did get a taste of it um, playing Band and Dunes recently. I went there in October yeah. and, and played and, and certainly felt that way. Um, playing Pacific Dunes and having a, a five iron in to a 90-yard a shot at, at certain points. And it's, it's really is different. And, and I did like the, the fact that everything in your book was kind of based around match play and, and being, you know, invested in – your attempts to to finally get over the top with Bondi and uh, and so him somehow finding a different way to to grasp an edge on you at every turn. Al, I, I'm I'm tormented by Bondi. Okay, I I I I love that man more than you know. As you know, to write a book in his honor is uh, is a huge deal for me. But I still to this day I can just remember so clearly thinking to myself, how is he gonna how is he gonna get me? Okay. And I would sit there, you know, on the 15th or 16th or 17th hole thinking, man, I'm close, but I know it's not going to end here. And, uh, 
he and I just had so many great ones. That man partied in my head. Um, he could make me three putt. He could, he could do a lot of things. And he could sort of, he could get you to get quick on, on the swing. And he could have you thinking about a lot of stuff other than just regular golf. So yeah. that was, uh, but it was, it's part of the pleasure of playing with someone like that because almost no one else can get in my head anymore. Mm -hmm. At what point did you decide that you wanted to write a book? And in particular, you wanted to write a golf book? Well, uh, listen, I, I, here's the funny part. Um, it, for anybody who's spent any time over in the UK, they, the Lynx golfers are so funny. After they play, there's, they're so articulate, and they love to sit around the bar and recap what happened. And there's, you know, every second or third round, something is really pretty remarkable. Something occurs. And I sat down at one point and just started writing it down. And I would just sit there and just write down notes. From what, and then when I'd get on an airplane and fly back to Munich, I'd write it down and sort of just put it on my computer. And over time, those things morphed from just a series of notes to little stories. And so I had a whole bunch of them. And this was 20 years ago. And I took notes of sort of all the rounds we played. Because I just thought, you know, at some point, I'm going to want to remember where I played. Then, sadly, and this is sort of tragically, um, Bondi came down with ALS. And he passed away in August of 19. And when he did, after, you know, sort of just the, the terrible sadness of the event, I sat down and thought, you know what? Golfers need to know who Bondi is. And Bondi would be everybody's favorite person. He's that kind of person, if you put a blind draw and you had, you know, 24 golfers throw their names in a hat, everybody is thrilled that they get Bondi in their fortune. They all want it. And I thought, he, we need to know more about this guy. And the world needs to know about him. And so I sat down and sort of took those stories and morphed them into a book. And then, and then COVID hit. And when COVID hit, um, I was uh, by myself in Chicago in an apartment with a limitless supply of coffee and a computer. And I thought, I'm never going to have a chance like this to do it again. My dog apparently senses some danger present. Can you hear her going I, after somebody? I, I can hear her going after somebody. And frankly, that's, uh, you know, it's just the mere mention of Bondi dominating me. As we're, <laughs> as we're thinking, maybe she's going to protect me here. Uh, oh, I don't this, know. The spirit. Has, has come yeah. knocking on our door, I think. There we go. <laughs> well, um, yeah, I sort of lost my train of thought, but what I, what I was going to say was, um, you know, I think that this book is kind of a, even if you're not someone who's particularly, you know, into the game of golf or plays semi-regularly but, but isn't entrenched in the game, it's, it's still endearing enough and, and entertaining enough to to be a good read for anyone and i think you did a really fantastic job making it such Al, thank you i mean we i, I hope you know when you read it um and, and if i if i sort of talk about the chapters that you read there were very few where we recount and then i hit a four iron into this or then i did that and then i did that it, it, that's just not the way we didn't want to write a book like that mm -hmm. we wanted to set up when i say we that's my daughter and i because she was my editor we wanted to set up what was so special about Western Gales and why is it you want to go to Western Gales? What's so great about playing that course? Why do we love it? And then really talk about maybe one hole like number seven, this amazing par three. And then really from there, just go straight to the main point of the story. 
we didn't want to have a recount of, and then on chapter nine, you know, whole nine, and then on whole 10. I, I think that became, would become a boring book and be very difficult to read. Um, my daughter, who was my editor, um, and I, I just got, I'm the luckiest guy alive on this one. Um, she had just finished working on Wall Street and she's going back to get her MBA. And right in between them, she had a four to five year, five months period where she was going to travel. And uh, unfortunately, unlucky for her, COVID canceled her trips. So she was stuck in an apartment and I was stuck in, in an office in an apartment. And uh, so I just called her and said, listen, would you mind editing my book? And she was a literature major at Princeton. Um, and so she said, sure. And she starts reading it and says, this is actually really good. <laughs> and I said, thanks. Can you make it a lot better? And she goes, I can make it a lot better. Okay. <laughs> and she did. She made it a lot better. She tightened it up. I mean, the first you know, page of the book used to be page seven. And she flipped it around, took us right into the action. And then from there, we sort of took a book, which was, which was a whole series of stories, about 70,000 words, and made it 40 and made it one where our goal, and hopefully maybe you, you can comment on this, Al, we wanted to make it a page turner. We wanted you to want to finish every chapter. And then as soon as you got to the end of the chapter, we were like, okay, what's gonna happen next? And we wanted that feel. And hopefully, I don't know, did, did that work for you? Yeah, and I was gonna say, I kind of treated it like, um, almost like a little, a little bit of a treat. I would allow myself you know, a couple of chapters a night and I would make sure that I had some more to, to go on on the next day. So it was almost like my personal little bedtime stories that I would uh, afford myself. You know, I'll, I'll get two or three chapters and maybe I'll sneak in an extra one, but I want to make sure I, I give myself a little bit more to go on the next night. Oh, that's, a, I mean, and hopefully when you read them, uh, first of all, thank you for that. Because uh, it's, we tried to do it. We wanted to make it like a TV series that would sort of be binge watchable, but that you, the characters never have to be reintroduced, but we're going to go to a new place every time. And so it's not, you know, the goal is if you start in chapter one, you're going to hear about Lumen Links. If you go to chapter two, you're going to hear about Valley Bunyan. If you go to chapter three, you're going to hear about Western Gales. Then we take you to Southeast England for two chapters to just sort of mix it up and get Royal St. Ports and Princess Golf Club. And then we go back up to the western coast of Scotland, um, Macri and Macrohanish on a whiskey tour slash, you know, golf trip. Um, and every single story is, is, there's always something special that occurred at each one. Hopefully you were laughing. I hope I, I made you laugh at those cities. Yeah, it, it was really fun. Um, and now I remember what I was going to say. It, it's an interesting exercise that you talked about um, in your playing experience. The, then you would, or and even off the course, you would go back and write your notes down, and then and then actually keep it and and a rolling. I don't know if you did like a rolling document or, or, or kept them separate, but um, it reminds me it almost like a next level of um, something we've talked about in the past. Is this is the golf life list where you're just generally logging every single course you've played after you've played it um but i don't know i can't tell you how many times i try to think back to you know and what was that one joke or anecdote that someone said and you know it was so good at the time but i can't remember it now but that maybe that's a way to do it and and really 
with you, I'm sure it was extremely special to then have your daughter go back and, and be able to share each of these stories of your life with her. Um, it just sounds like a, a very, very cool way to do it. It, it was amazing. Um, and, you know, as she was, um, she would say, what was amazing for her was to actually get to know her father from age 30 or 34 at the time when, when I met Bondi. Um, and, you know, she was a, a one-year-old at the time. Um, and so she was able to sort of hear these stories and think, wow, this is, this is the life he lived. That's, that's, that's what my father is all about. And I think that for her, it was very special because she said, I want to learn how to play golf. I want to play golf. And she now does. Um, and she started during COVID and just said, you know what? I'm going to go pick this game up the way you did. And I want to read it. And so she's got, you know, as I joke, she knows more about golf courses than almost any very high handicap golfer you're ever going to meet because she's really edited a golf book and she can tell you the differences between this hole and that hole on these courses because she's, she's focused on them. So that's amazing. Do you have, so can I ask, yeah. can no, I ask you out, what, what, what were your favorite, what, were there any courses where you said, okay, I'm dying to go play this after, uh, after you're there, like just any ones where you went, okay, that was my, uh, or that's a story where I can't wait to go play that place. Hmm. Sorry to put you on the spot. <laughs> this goes back to like our first conversation where I was like, I, I wish I had the book right in front of me where I could just like put it right there. And I, I'm at home right now and I actually left the book at the office. So I'm kind of kicking myself for that. But um, let's see. Did you play... Maybe I'm grasping for straws. Did you play Waterville? Was that one of the courses in the book? Yep. Well, we, we talked about Waterville a little bit where Bondi and I basically went out and played it. And uh, we, um, we, we got sandbagged by somebody who had a very, very uh, – he was a – he was a – he called himself a nine, but he shot like a 73 in a driving range. So Oh, yes. Yes. Okay. So, so Bondi referred to him as the bandit of Waterville. He actually ran the Wilson's – well, I shouldn't say who is. He ran the Wilson Sock Factory. The guy was an amazing golfer, uh, but we're not. Neither of us are quite sure he's a nine. So it was a, whatever uh, it was, but he beat the crap out of us. Okay, so, I thought that was right, and that combined with um, some pictures from one of our photographers that we use in links. Evan Schiller has taken a bunch of yeah. amazing pictures of Waterville, and yeah, it's kind of you know, for me and and anyone maybe who is into social media, into following accounts, or you're looking at these, you know, picture perfect portraits of, of golf courses all over the world. I knew I had seen that one. And then to read a story about someone playing it and kind of putting yourself on that, in that arena a little bit was, was interesting and, and grasped my attention. Well, it was, uh, and, and I think that, you know, the one, the one, if we're talking about Evan Schiller, I, I, first of all, I think he's an unbelievably talented photographer. The guy just does an amazing job. Um, and actually, um, I, I just sent out uh, a business uh, Christmas card or holiday card, and we used an Evan Schiller photograph um, of, oh, did you? of an American course, but we did that. So he's just fantastic. So to me, I think, you know, I think, you know, if, if you and I talk about sort of a favorite chapters and favorite courses, I think a little bit about like my favorite courses. Um, mm -hmm. And I get asked a lot by people, well, if you had to go back and play one round or go back and play, you know, where would you go? And I think, Al, 
a lot of times I would probably take this book and go just retrace it and start because there's 18 chapters. It probably involves 35 courses in total. And I'd love just to go back and actually replay those. Um, and uh, probably with some of the other people that were part of those trips with Bobby and me. Um, that would be my, my favorite. I think that when I look at my favorite golf courses, I, I either look at Royal Dornick or at Royal County Down. Uh, those are my two favorite from a beauty perspective and then a play every day. I love Port Mark. And, you know, I think you and I were discussing beforehand a little bit about how my, you know, what were my favorite courses and my favorite memories. I think playing with Bondi and my father um, on whole, you know, at Royal Dornick and my father, you know, sort of watching probably my father's last birdie because um, he was older and, you know, having him make a birdie on 17 and, having it matter in our match uh, was sort of a big deal, um, sort of a, a nice, nice moment. And, you know, one of those rare moments, this is before, you know, I'm older, my father's older. This is before you hug each other a lot. Um, so sort of one of those rare moments of, of that. Very cool. Do you, uh, do you have plans to get back uh, across the pond in the near future? If as possible. soon as as soon as the vaccine rolls out and they decide that someone like me is worthy of getting one, I'll have one and I'll be ready to go. I I'm hoping that I'm back over in the UK somewhere in late spring, maybe early, um, probably you know late spring, early summer um, to get back over. Uh, I love spending time over in Scotland, uh, and you know I'm lucky enough to be you know able to spend a fair amount of time up in Dornoch. So I will definitely be over there um, as, soon, as soon as we can travel. But uh, this has been a tough time, uh, tough time for golf. Or not a tough time for golf, a tough time for golf travel. Uh, it's been an amazing thing for golf. Yeah, isn't that interesting, you know, that how, how well golf seems to have done? Would you have predicted that before if, um, at the beginning of it? Amazingly, I did. I was predicting it. I was predicting it in the spring because when I, I was talking to somebody, and I said, listen, as soon as they get the rule right, golf's going to explode because it's one of the only things we can do where we can be with people and be outside. And it's, it's pretty hard to be safe. Um, you know, COVID is a weird disease. It, it, it transmits easily and you can't tell who's got it and who doesn't have it. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't, it, there's no rhyme or reason as to why it seems to pass on. Um, so to me, golf is one of those rare moments where you can actually meet your friends as long as you stand a few feet apart, you stand apart, just hold, you know, hold your driver out and they hold their driver out and that's it. And you don't shake hands and you don't high five. Frankly, I'm not sure about touching the flag stick, but I probably have touched it uh, a few times, but, um, you know, I, I'm getting used to putting with a flag stick in. And uh, I, I just, I think people are realizing that golf is a great thing to do. It's great exercise. It's a fun place to be. And um, I would expect that golf is going to boom for the next bunch of years. Yeah. I know you, uh, you were a tennis player too. And do, do you still play tennis or have you gone completely to golf? Uh, I would say uh, I move like a golfer these days. Um, so I, I am no longer, I, I used to be sort of quick as a cat. Okay. Back in, but you know, I'm, I'm 60 years old right now. And so I remember competing with wooden tennis rackets, um, and then, then metal, then graphite. So, um, the answer I guess for me is I, I don't play, uh, anymore. 
I loved tennis. I love playing it. But unfortunately with tennis, it's not like you get to go play a different place. You know, no one ever says, hey, there's this amazing tennis court over at this other town. Um, you know, you just, you don't, the beautiful thing about golf is you're playing on a work of art and you get to interact with it. It's, it's just a shocking thing. And I think that's, you know, part of what I love about Links Magazine is you guys talk about the beauty of architecture. You talk about the beauty of the courses and you're a lot about where it's played. Um, and to me, that's the celebration of this game. That's what makes it so special. So I love doing it. I love doing it with people I want to play with and I want to play as many places as I can. Well, me too. Yeah, I've always thought that's the, the most special and unique thing about golf is that every single setting, every single time you play is, is not even close to the last time in, in terms of relating to similarities. You can go play basketball on a different court and everything kind of is the same. Um, and you can say that for, for most sports, I think. But um, yeah, golf, golf in that way is just special in its own right. I, I think it's, it's unusual in that it's a lifetime game. Uh, it and skiing are the two sports that sort of have that different locations, different experience, and you can do them for a long, long time. There are a lot of 70-year-olds running around skiing very, very well. Um, and what I learned from Bondi was, you know, life is short. Go grab these things. Grab the moments and, and, and go do them because there are no mulligans uh, or there's no mulligan in life. Um, you got to just say, okay, this is, this is the one we're living and let's go grab it. Let's go do it. And he and I would, uh, meet, you know, I would say you know, roughly every two months and just go over budgets and numbers because we're working together. And he'd call me and say, where do you want to meet? And I'm like, I've never played. And I'd point to like these three courses, you know, out of a book. And he'd say, great little hotel, good restaurant nearby. And we'd just meet them and we'd sit down we'd have our meetings we'd do it and then we'd go run out and play two and a half hours of lace golf and come back and finish our meetings and we would do that routinely and you know that's the other thing bonnie and i both played fast golf so we weren't stuck it wasn't a five hour type day we could go in we could play early in the morning and be done and come right back and meet for eight or nine hours a day and be just fine so um I was incredibly lucky to be able to play that much golf at that much places at those great courses. Um, so that's a, it's a blessing. Yeah. Well, you can read all about uh, Luke's various adventures and on, across Scotland and Ireland and the UK and in his book, it's one for the memory banks again, and you can go to their website, thememorybanks.com. If you'd like to order the book, it is a great read. It's an easy, easy, fun, entertaining read. And, you know, for me, it's something that if I do get the chance to go um, across the pond, I will take it with me just so I know and have a reference for a lot of these places that I'd like to visit. I guess that final question would be, is that something that you'd kind of hope that people would do? Is that they take the book along with them? That is my dream. That, my, my dream is that people that some that somebody in the foursome becomes Bondi, okay essentially starts taking on his character and is the funny wise person in the group um he has so many amazing lines it wouldn't surprise me if some of his lines become lines that start getting quoted and repeated around the golf course years from now 
Um, and I think that, you know, if I could just talk about sort of, you know, something that would make me tear up, it's the thought of people being able to go play these links courses and know what Bondi was like. Um, I'm really the passenger. I'm the one who's writing the stories. It's all about him. Um, and there was another character named Angus Moyer. He's not a character, he's a guy. Um, he won the Scottish Amateur Championship. He's the other person who really helped me uh, formulate, you know, what I became as a golfer. Um, he helped me more with how to, how to score. Bondi helped me with how to deal with a competitor. Um, and so, you know, if I could pass on a bunch of their tricks and a bunch of their little lessons and those kind of things on to people who are readers, that'd be great. Above all, I want people to be entertained um, and just have a great read and just have fun um, and just and realize that from my side, I love golf. I love golf courses. And I think to have a chance to be able to pass that on is just wonderful. It's a real, it's a real blessing. Very cool. Yeah. And I, and I mentioned to you before I let you go, I mentioned to you that I am using one of your or one of Bondi's tricks at the end of uh, any match play hole that I'm playing now. I'm, I'm waiting until the very last second for someone to line up a two foot putt to have a hole to go ahead and give it to them. Just let them think over it for a little bit. And they're like, ah, you know, that's good. Sort and, of as and the key is if you do it sort of around the, you know, Bondi would do that around the fourth or fifth or sixth hole or something like that. And he'd make you think for quite a while <laughs> and then he'd give it to you. And now the next time you're about to go stand over one of those, you're like, is he, is he going to make me give it? Is he going to give it to me? Or is he not going to give it to me? Or, and you almost go, forget him. I'm going to put this one in. And, just have to, and, and now you're thinking, but what if I miss? But wouldn't it be better if you just gave it to me? And I mean, the number of things that the ping pong match that can go on inside your brain, once Bondi has started to screw you up, is, is quite, quite intense. So yeah. that's, uh, <laughs> there are a lot of things that he did. And, and you know, readers will enjoy hearing my torment. Uh, yeah, hopefully I, I, made, I hopefully sure I made a lot of fun. I sure but, did. You know, I, I enjoyed hearing um, these, yeah, these tortured stories. <laughs> at your expense unfortunately but i did i did have fun reading that yeah <laughs> you know what it's they were they're they're definitely at my expense i lost all the time uh and came close uh but it was just one of those things that i think that as, as he toughened me up he eventually turned me into a, a fairly reasonable golfer and a good match play player so i think most people wouldn't mind having me on their side now luke thanks for joining me today i hope you can get back out to uh the other side of the world soon and get back to the game we all love. Um, but enjoy skiing in the meantime. I know you, you've had some fun doing that too. Thank you so much, Al. Truly appreciate that. All right, take care. Thank you.